I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. <laughs> Hi, guys. Welcome to the first snack-sized episode of IntroVets. Woohoo! Yeah. So <laughs> our mini episodes are going to be in a way, at least initially, sort of companion pieces, I think, to our longer episodes. If for no other reason than we have multiple updates, it seems like, for every episode, because, you know, veterinary medicine is so nuanced. Like, there's so many things to consider. Fitting it all into one hour is just really pretty difficult. Yeah, and we're not experts on everything, but we like to ask the experts, so. Oh, yeah, we're not experts. Well, I mean, we are. We we are experts, though. (laughs) (laughs) We're like not highly specialized. We're generalists. I mean, you saying we need to toot our horns and stuff? BB? Yes, probably. (laughs) I think so. Okay. Okay. Toot toot. Let's go. The first thing that I want to talk about is uh, an anxiety topic because in going through the audio for the other episodes, so I. I do some of the editing for the podcast, and so I listen to the episodes repeatedly, like four or five different times before they're sent for sound editing. So I tend to obsess about things that we say because I've heard it so much. And one of the things that I started to have a lot of anxiety about was um, the occasional cursing. No shit. Yes, (laughs) correct. And it's Sorry, I had to. It actually... (laughs) <laughs> it actually doesn't bother me when JJ curses at all, but Same. when I hear myself say a bad word, then it's it starts to make me nervous. Well, I mean, I, I wanted you to know when, when we talked about this that I do hear you. I was kind of thinking more in the the idea of that, you know, we we are real, real veterinary professionals, and in real veterinary settings. There's some colorful language. I mean, we don't, you know, not with clients, but, you know, amongst ourselves, (laughs) I mean, shit happens and sometimes shit's on the wall and sometimes, you know, you just got to, you know, let off some steam somehow. I mean, I, what little bit of research that I could find on the topic was it's mixed reviews. Some people say cursing is a sign of intelligence and that people who curse are less stressed out about things and lord really? knows we need to be less stressed out um and in other places they were saying well it shows a lack of professionalism and i'm well, just yeah. kind of like if i was having to be professional constantly i mm-hmm. would not be a pleasant person so that's true save and the professionalism for the exam room and <laughs> yeah i mean i and this is a creative outlet right it's we're not in the room with a client we're not representing a business Except our own, <laughs> which is like, oh, man, the most liberating thing in the whole world. I don't. So, I mean, if I still worked for someone else, it's very possible that I would have really put my foot down and said every single curse word needs to be edited out of the podcast. And and that might have been like a major, like, we'll call it a creative disagreement. Mm-hmm. But because I own my own business. Um, I mean, certainly I I want to make sure that my clients, my relief clients are happy, but this is part of a boundary setting situation. (laughs) Like, um, you know, the, 
if I if I record a podcast that has some curse words in it when I'm not at your office formally representing your clinic, uh, I don't really think you have a leg to stand on there. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, probably get hate mail about that opinion. But um, you know, I was uh, I was listening to one episode in particular, and I really kind of you know felt very comfortable, and and we were having just a really conversational episode. Um, because the longer that you podcast, like the more comfortable you get with having a microphone in your face and your laptop. <laughs> and it feels more like going out to dinner in instead of the weird clinical situation. And so mm-hmm. that, I think, is our best episode so far. That one that I was listening to, which um, won't have been released yet, I don't think, when, when, this is, when people are listening to this. But I started to have bad anxiety that... Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I started to have anxiety, and my anxiety, uh, like many people, starts to snowball. Okay, and it, and then you start imagining the worst case scenario. So, uh, so I was thinking like, uh, probably going to get hate mail about saying this one phrase, and then, then I was like, well, what if, what if I get fired from all of my relief positions because of it? <laughs> and then I was like, what if? Because, you know, we live in Alabama and Alabama is very conservative and the board historically is very conservative. Mm -hmm. What if the board censures me for cursing on a podcast? (laughs) And then thankfully you talk to your therapist. (laughs) Oh, no, no. I had gotten much further into this by the time we had therapy. So I had gone from like this uh, podcast might make my mom feel uncomfortable (laughs) to I'm going to get banned from veterinary medicine for life for recording an episode of a podcast that has a curse word in it within, I mean, an afternoon of me uh, obsessing about it. And I bring that up because I feel like that's a, a feeling that a lot of people have, maybe not about cursing on a podcast, but about, oh, I don't know, just daily life stuff. <laughs> so um, so I did. I had a whole therapy session almost the entire hour about what do I do? What do I not do? What's reasonable? You know, and my therapist, who I love, was finally just like, beep, them. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, fair enough. Okay. So there was that. And then I talked to JJ about it. And JJ mm-hmm. was like, firmly against changing any part. She was like, no, we're not changing it, which is unusual because I feel like JJ is very like, you know, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, whatever you want to do. You know, she's very, you're very people pleasing. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And, and so when you were like, uh-uh, we're not changing it. Then I was like, oh, I guess it's really important <laughs> that we don't change it. And then it was like this. And so then I had to like, I called my mom, like I talked to my mom about it. And then my mom is like, mm, I did get a little shocked by it, you know, or whatever. And then, um, I didn't respond back to my mom right away via text message. And then she called me and was like, are you mad at me for saying that I was shocked by you cursing on the podcast? And I was like, I see where I get this uh-huh. tendency from. <laughs> this is a learned behavior. Yeah. When you said I that, love I, you, was mommy. Like, <laughs> I was like, man, apple and tree. Not far. I know. I know. <laughs> Mama, I love you. Do not yes. be mad that I recorded this on a podcast. <laughs> But anyway, then she was like, I'm super old lady and all of this stuff. And I was like, okay, you're not a super old lady. But also, you know, I value your opinion. But also, we aren't changing it. And she was like, good, you shouldn't change it. And I was like, good. And then she said, I'm going to... um." 
I'm going to send the podcast to all of your elementary school teachers. And she wasn't being ironic. She was she was being serious. And I was like, Mom, all of them are going to be mad <laughs> that oh. I curse on a podcast. And she was like, are you seriously mad at me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, <I'm> not- <laughs> anyway. So it was the whole thing. But then I was listening to Brene Brown's podcast, which is new and everybody should listen to it. It's amazing. Brene Brown is like a super famous therapist. She's like multiple book. I mean, everybody knows who Brene Brown is. And if you don't like, look it up because it'll be life changing. But Mm -hmm. I was listening to her podcast when I was at lunch the other day, sitting in the car, (laughs) taking some me time. And... (laughs) She says uh, she drops the F-bomb like three or four times in one episode. And I was like, I called JJ right away. And I was like, JJ, if Brene Brown can curse on her podcast, so can I. (laughs) And so then that's where we left it. Anyway, my anxiety is pretty bad, apparently, and (laughs) needs management, needs editing. Uh, When I was at a different place in my life, though, I would have taken that snowball that happened like, from minimal cursing on a podcast to now my career has ended, okay? Because, like, I'm so important somehow, right? There's also, like, a little <laughs> bit of, like, mild narcissism involved in that, I think. Like, where you're like, oh, I'm so important. People are going to take notice and, like, end my career. Like, no one has that much time on their hands, I think, right? <laughs> but anyway, so many more egregious things that people don't have their career ended over. <laughs> so I think I'm probably fine. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah, I think uh, I think everything's going to be all right. Thank you, JJ. <laughs> Will you sing it to me? Um, I, I, I don't sing very well. Yes, you do. You sing, you know, when you call me and you say, every little thing <laughs> is going to be all right. Uh, yeah, that's uh, you do a better job. That is your ringtone. Is it really? Yep. No way. <laughs> yeah, I shit you not. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. When when JJ and I have, have worked together at the same hospital in the past and she always runs my anesthesia for me and I get super stressed out and. Uh, about things then she would start singing (laughs) we should put stevie nicks on like we listen to stevie nicks most of the time if i have something stressful happening like a stressful procedure Mm -hmm. Um, but occasionally she'd pull out is it bob marley Mm -hmm. yeah she'd pull out the bob marley well that came from like that time we went to baltimore and i was flying on the airplane for only the second time in my life and uh, I was like, <laughs> and you started singing that. So I was like, okay, that's our theme song. <laughs> Whatever. Oh my God, I don't even remember that. <laughs> I do, because okay. I was the one said like, every little noise airplane made, you're like, that's what this is. This is what that is. Everything's going to be all right. And so I started going, every little thing's going to be all right. <laughs> oh, God, I don't want to die, but everything's going to be all right. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I can't believe I just saying a song snippet on a podcast and also we probably have to make sure that that's legal to do uh, yeah but anyway <laughs> like uh i grew up being told that i was tone deaf and like literally to lip sync rude every children's like elementary school performance like a christmas pageant when i when i was in high school um the church, little church that i went to had a tiny choir and um, the the person I was dating at the time's mom was the choir director and they would always make me sing in the choir because like so that it would look fuller but like I had this history of people telling me when I was a child that I couldn't sing and that I, sh- I was better off um, lip syncing so every single time I was 
ever in a choir thing, I lip sing. I did not sing at all. Oh, I've never sad. told anybody that. <laughs> Secrets out now. Right. Anyway. Okay, right. <laughs> Veterinary medicine. See uh-huh. on topic. Yeah. Well, that's okay. what these are sort of more informal than the other informal stuff we do. So Right. Yeah, the even more informal snack episode. Okay. Yep. So we had a couple of updates. In the first episode, when we were talking about the case, we talked a little bit about taking x-rays and the question of is a dogogram ever appropriate? And in this case, we're talking about taking a radiograph that includes both the thorax and the abdomen in the same view on, for example, small patients. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how historically that had been frowned upon. And JJ relayed some of the reasons why having to do a scatter radiation. And then also we talked about how on plain film radiograph, like old-timey x-rays, it could decrease our ability to see structures. So I, first of all, researched that and made sure that the information we shared was accurate. <laughs> and, it, and it is. Good news. Good news. It's correct. So I also solicited some opinions from some veterinary specialists who have taught, you know, who are have been in academia or are veterinary specialists just to see what's the current recommendation. So the first reply that I got back is from uh, a neurologist, Dr. Jill Narrick, who is a wonderful colleague and was actually one of my residents when I was in veterinary school in my clinical rotation. She was a a neurology resident. And so I have like a, you know, a more close relationship with her than I do like any other random veterinary (laughs) neurologist. But um, so she replied uh, and said I could I could definitely quote her, which was super nice. So she's worked both in academia and and is now in private practice as a neurologist. And she says, I can get a good idea if there's a broken back, degenerative disc disease. She goes on to list a few things, even if the x-rays are not perfect. Mostly what I use that information for, meaning the x-rays, is to choose the best fit for advanced imaging if needed, or just run with the diagnosis from the x-rays. She says in private practice, things are much more practical than they were, you know, kind of in the ivory tower of, of academia. I did hear also from a veterinary radiologist, Bill Blevins, He is a VIN radiology consultant, and he says, With film and screen radiography, it was important to make thoracic and abdominal views separately because of the differences in exposure necessary to get good images. And with digital imaging and the possibility of window leveling, dog or catagrams are okay to do. Proper positioning is still important. But if you're taking radiographs of the extremities, say the stifles, for example, you really need to take those views separately. So you wouldn't want to try to like get the thorax and the abdomen and the stifle all in one x-ray like that. Don't do that. That's not going to work. Right. And still, um, I mean, collimating is still very important. Uh, even if you're doing like a dog or catagram, you still want to collimate in on the animal instead of just leaving everything wide open because you're going to expose yourself to scatter radiation, even if it's minimal. Uh, by doing that so especially you know if you you're taking an extremity collimate in on that extremity it's gonna it it will help sharpen the image uh, at the end of the day but it also protects you so that's that's still super important collimate 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 Mm-hmm. But if you're in a sticky situation and you need to get that dog or catagram, go ahead. <laughs> yep. 
Okay. So the other update we have is a pinworm update. And I know, JJ, you have some information too. But in the first episode, we strayed onto the topic of pinworms in people. And JJ related a story from an acquaintance who is anonymous. Um, <laughs> and I, I remarked that we should find out what is used to treat pinworms in people. So I looked it up and it's pyrantel pamelweight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot to include this when I was originally talking about it, and I found it amusing in that this particular person was in college at the time, and they had gone to, you know, most college campuses have their own medical area. Um, It's usually free to the student. Uh, It comes with their tuition, which it should because shit's expensive. Um, But they had gone to the campus medical uh, area because they were concerned they might have an STD due to a, an extremely itchy anus. That's <laughs> wow. just, yeah. Just, okay. you know, found well, that amusing. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. If you have that issue happening, like, you got to get that checked out. Super important. <laughs> yes, that's not normal. <laughs> so anyway, from there, they did the tape test and then found the pinworm eggs. Um, I don't know if they did a tape test. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. But still, that's kind of... The reason I asked, in the first episode, you were you mentioned specifically tape on the bum, and I didn't know if you knew about yeah. that from that case or just general... I was trying to remember the name of the gotcha. parasite. Large animal's a little rusty. It's been a minute. We should mention that pinworms are a species-specific sort of organism. Mm-hmm. Again, so there are people pinworms. There are horse pinworms. Oh, but, like, people don't get pinworms from horses, and horses don't get pinworms from people. They each have their own beautiful pinworm <laughs> all to themselves. Isn't that nice yeah. that they evolved that way? Mm, wonderful. Um, <laughs> also, dogs and cats do not have a type of pinworm that affects them. Pinworms primarily affect herbivores. Well, Interesting. that's good to know because I would not yeah. want, I mean, dogs and cats paying enough attention to their buttholes without... <laughs> 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 a little oh something extra. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that brings up a good point that um, a lot of owners are familiar with the idea of pinworms because they've had kids that have them. I mean, this is more common than I thought, yeah. especially in kids. And so they think my dog's booty is itchy. It's scooting on the carpet. They must have worms. That that I think is where that perception comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but dogs, in fact, don't get pinworms. No, um, they're scooting nine times out of ten as those pesky anal glands as far as the pinworm update goes pyrantel pamelweight and that anonymous acquaintance might be able to help throw in an opinion then about uh what it tastes like (laughs) because that was a major topic that we discussed in the first episode was how does it taste yeah i'll have to figure out how to bring that subject up i think that might be a a sore subject (laughs) okay (laughs) Uh, Uh, it's a sore subject Oh, boy. Okay, moving right along. There was a question that came up in the same episode about treating parvo patients that might have whipworms. Um, Okay. And the question was, uh, what would you use to treat since, obviously, using an oral dose of a dewormer would be kind of contraindicated? 
because not only is your patient vomiting, but your patient's intestines are pretty much sloughing. So not a whole lot of absorbing going on there. You can use injectable ivermectin at the higher dose for removal of intestinal parasites in those dogs. That's my favorite um, because it's it's injectable. You can make sure it gets in. But you can't use that high dose of ivermectin in dogs that might have the MDR1 mutation, uh, like herding breeds. So if we have a concern over a breed predisposition to a problem with high doses of ivermectin, then you could use topical moxidectin. And one brand name of that is uh, is Advantage Multi, which is a topical uh, heartworm prevention. So this is sort of a veterinary professional story time. And yeah. since we're on the topic of poo and intestinal <laughs> parasites, um, I looked up a couple of things. And one that I felt would probably be Uh, A good thing for people to know, since dog parks are pretty popular, and this makes sense because you can't control, you know, what animals come into the dog park, what type of parasite prevention they're on. So it stands to reason you have lots of dogs in a a dog park. They're going to be pooping and spreading things. Plus, you know, depending on how well the dog park's kept up, that poop may continue to stay there and continue to reinfect the area. Uh, So the article that I found, it was an AHA article. They had looked at 288 different parks during um, August and July of 2019 and stool samples were collected from over 3,000 dogs. See, testing revealed 85% of park samples had at least one infected dog, and that one in five park attending dogs across the United States is infected with gastrointestinal parasites. The most common one was Giardia, um, which makes sense because even, I mean, I don't know of any of the uh, parasite prevention products that prevents that, but they also saw hookworms, roundworms, not mentioned much of whipworms, but as we know, they don't lay as many eggs, so they may not have been able to find them. But um, so I thought that was kind of interesting and that the, the percentage was that high of infection it, just from dog parks. And since, you know, lots of people like to visit those, you know, make sure your dog's protected. And I don't know, I found that number to be a little scary. Yeah. What so and were they taking fecal samples from the dogs or were they testing the soil or both or how how were they they figuring this they out? They did took stool samples from the dogs um and they did the uh, centrifuge um fecal test. So basically they were just like, okay, I'm out here, we're doing a study, can we bag up your dog's poo and test it? That is scary. A crazy amount. Mm-hmm. And the biggest uh, the biggest contributor to that those positive results was Giardia. Correct. And what percentage of those had Giardia? Does it say? Uh, I didn't say it. Just said it was the most commonly detected parasite. Huh. That's so interesting. And does it say a geographic location? Um. No. It just said thirty metropolitan areas. Okay. Yeah. So it might be a random sampling. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting and it and it makes me wonder you know of course giardia is a zoonotic parasite uh, so it does affect people mm-hmm. and it makes me wonder how many of those dogs are asymptomatic many adult dogs can have kind of a passing subclinical infection with giardia kind of clear it on their own and not ever become sick but obviously shedding those organisms into the environment might make somebody else like a person or another pet or another type of animal sick um so that that's a 
a surprisingly high number. Mm -hmm. Does it say what, like, the second most common, third most common? Does it give a... Um, it just said, but hookworms, wetworms, and roundworms were found at almost half of the parks visited. Nematodes, especially hookworms, were most common in the South and the Midwest, and Giardia mm-hmm. was almost equally prevalent in all regions of the U.S. Interesting. And this article was written by Catherine Duncan, who is a resident in parasitology at Oklahoma State University. Cool. What And what's the title of that article? Dog Parks, Where Pets, People, and Parasites Collide. And it was published in a journal, uh, which... Um, I found it just kind of uh, in a Google search. Um, Uh It says uh, AHA Publications, new stat, and it was from May 1st of this year. Oh, so it's very recent. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like maybe an online article that was published. But So if if it has appeared in a journal and we just don't know, we apologize to that uh, parasitologist. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Dr. Duncan. Sorry, Duncan. Okay. Okay. So another, uh, some more information that I found concerning poop, our favorite topic, um, Mm. was about how important it is to uh, pick up your dog's stool from uh, the ground, wherever they go. Uh, It's not just, you know, being neighborly, but it's also good for the environment to remove it. Um, Oh. Contrary to popular belief, dog poop is not a fertilizer contains too much of uh, bacteria and too much protein so um, it'll actually kill your grass and it's also not really good to let it hang out in the soil because it's you know it can contribute to the spread of parasites as well as it attracts rats and maggots everybody's favorite so nobody wants any of that yeah i'm sure like the um the amount of domesticated dogs is probably higher than would have naturally occurred in nature right i mean i think so and so if you if we just let everybody's dog poop indiscriminately that does impact the environment yeah um one of the statistics i saw was like you know dogs in the u.s poop 10 million tons each year that's ah. a lot of doo-doo. That's what oh they said, gosh. exactly. Uh, but not only is it important to remove the poop, it's also important to dispose of it properly. So uh, most people have their little doggy poop bags, and they just throw it in the garbage. But as we all know, garbage goes somewhere, and a lot of those bags just sit there with the poop in it and pile up and collect in landfills, um, which you can imagine what kind of smell that contributes. Plus, if those bags aren't biodegradable, they don't really go anywhere. So you have to have tons and tons and tons of bags of poop. So uh, also, it's not a good idea to put them down a storm drain. Out of sight is not out of mind, for real, um, because that's going to uh, be sort of contaminating to rainwater runoff and yeah. Nobody wants to do that. So right. just don't put anything down a storm drain yeah. is a good rule of thumb. Yeah. You see a storm drain, leave it alone. Uh-huh. There might be clowns in there. So that's what I was going to say. <laughs> there might be a killer clown. So stay out of storm drains uh-huh. at Halloween. JJ, <laughs> you know that ghost house in my neighborhood? Yes. We're not going to identify where. I love it. She knows what I mean. Uh-huh. At Halloween, because they have a storm drain right out front. They did not tie a balloon to that shit. Yes, 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 yes. Who are these people and why are they not my friends? I don't know. They are amazing. And I totally wanted to buy that house and fix it up. You know, that thing is haunted. I know. It's got to be. Yes. But anyway, when I was driving home, I come around that corner 
it's out of my way, but I like driving past that house so much that I go out of my way every day to see it on the way home. I don't blame you. And when I turned the corner, there was a red balloon tied to the storm drain, and I just about died. I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing. Oh my Lord, I love it. <laughs> they had like no other Halloween decorations. And like in my neighborhood, like some of the Halloween decorations are pretty over the top, and I contribute to that for sure. But it was like a classic pumpkin on the porch, like fall decor very classy and then they put the red balloon in the yard and i was like oh my god this is amazing (laughs) okay sorry i like it sorry sorry too off topic no i mean you know no poop in storm drains stay away from storm drains don't get eaten by a clown um that's really a spider or something important so when you mentioned this to me the other day you mentioned that septic tanks might be an issue if people are disposing of dog poo through things like flushing yeah and flushing seems to be the most recommended way of disposing not in a bag of course because you don't want to clog up your pipes and whatnot (laughs) so please do not flush a bag of poo down your toilet that seems like a terrible idea um and for what research i could do concerning because i mean we have a septic tank here at my house oh And um, septic tanks, while they're not necessarily delicate things, they can cause problems and they can be expensive to fix. So um, from what I could tell, you know, there was some concern about things like, you know, hair, because dogs will eat hair, human hair, their hair. It it happens. Um, So hair does not sort of disintegrate very well. Um, Things like rawhides things like that can get stuck into the tank and cause problems. So um, there was some concern about that. But the the best word of advice was to contact whoever your septic tank specialist is and to have them tell you what they think your can't tank, your specific tank can and can't handle. Um, but there's also another option uh, called a doggy septic tank, Um which I saw uh, Amazon sells them. There's several different times. There's several different kinds, uh, but it's basically a, a small plastic deal that you dig a hole and put in your yard, and you can put your poo- dog poo in there. You add water to it, and it's supposed to kind of work the same way as a septic tank, um, just a super smaller version. So if you're interested in doing that, if you want to, you know, get in there and be extra with your uh dog poo disposal um that is an option (laughs) so i have so many questions about the dog septic yeah i have more questions too Uh, there was some mixed reviews on it (laughs) overwhelmingly people had positive reviews from the amazon when i saw really okay um some people were saying that you uh need to like um put bigger holes into the bottom of it and that you needed to dig out areas underneath it so it could flow better um some person even suggested adding mealworms to it to help disintegrate things faster i was like i don't know if i want to do all that but um over i mean the people that seemed to have problems with it felt like they maybe didn't follow directions closely enough or maybe didn't have it buried properly that sort of thing mm-hmm. but it seemed like all you do is you add the you add the poo and you work, you, you, you dump the water in there kind of like you would be flushing a toilet. You're using water to flush the poo um, and that it will eventually, you know, turn itself into whatever poo does when it goes away. 
I was like, interesting. Um, They did say that if you live in really cold environments, like if it was 40 degrees or below, um, the bacteria that eat the poo would uh, not be able to survive. So you would have to dig a deeper, you have to get below the freeze line. Uh, Is that, I mean, is that for the dog specific tank or any tank? Dog specific. I don't know about don't the human know end, but how tank how septic tanks work at all? I I hundred percent don't. I mean, I have a general idea. It's just the whole thought. I I just pr- want to pretend that there's a magical fairy that you know makes everything go away. And uh, sounds like a good plan. I don't. <laughs> I just you know just getting behind a septic tank truck. Just I mean, you can smell it. It's bad. I just, no, thank you. So, but if you are interested, they do make a separate little, and it was like thirty forty dollars. To buy it on Amazon, which I thought that's pretty cheap for it is dealing with your dog's poo. That's interesting. Or you can pay a nice service to come and clean it up for you if you have the means, because then you out of sight, out of mind for real. I don't know what they do with theirs. Maybe they have their own yeah. septic tank. I don't know. Hopefully that they dispose of it in a responsible way. But yes. so long story short, it sounds like flushing the poo, not in a bag or anything else, like just going ahead and flushing it down the toilet is the best way. But if you happen to be on a septic system, you need to check with your septic authorities yes. before you do it. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Thank you. That Those are all things that I had honestly not considered. <laughs> like at all. I mean, I had not considered that. Is the same true of cats with litter boxes? Uh, what I did see was they did not recommend flushing cat poo. Um, for toxoplasmosis reasons, but also um, because uh, they had even more protein in there and it could cause issues. So everything that I saw was like the whole septic thing, the whole flushing thing. Do not do that with cat poo. So I don't really know what you're supposed to do with cat poo other than send it to the landfill because. Yeah. So don't so don't flush cat poo, even if you're on a city system. Yeah, I said don't. Okay, because I guess what they treat the water with won't get parasites right. that we might encounter in cats. That's kind of what I was getting from that, because they, they mentioned okay. toxoplasmosis, like multiple articles mentioned that. That's interesting. I was like, huh. Huh. scary. Yeah. Basically, they were like, just don't touch cat poo at all. If only. <laughs> well, if you have stories for us, this could be clinical cases. They could be veterinary fun facts. It could be crazy stories. We'll take them all. Mm-hmm. Please send them to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear them. Yes. And we'll see you next time. Toodles. Bye. <laughs>